Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesanov. This week, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you as my guest, Karen Salmonson. Karen is a former stressed-out advertising senior VP and award-winning designer turned healthy living expert. She's a best-selling author of several books and a longevity research geek. I like that because so am I. She has been profiled in the New York Times, Business Week, Chicago Tribune, LA Times, Time Magazine, Elle, Marie Claire, you name it, she's been there. At the age of 50, Karen realized another dream, which was to become a mother. As a late-in-life mum, Karen loves to research a wide range of longevity boosters and share with her audience how to slow down the aging process and live not only longer, but better, absolutely echoing London Heels' mantra. Karen heads up a tribe that she calls the Welderly, which I love, by the way, Karen, which is a community that positively embraces getting older and aging into their happiest, highest potential selves. So Karen, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Oh, it's, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for, for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure's all mine. So Karen, everybody has a story. And as we mentioned in the introduction, you started off life one way and then went over into a very different direction, which happens to a lot of us, I think. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those early days and what was, what was perhaps the trigger to make you actually move your career over? Sure. Um, well, I started off in advertising. And I, I rose up pretty quickly. I was the senior vice president, creative director in my 20s. But I wasn't happy. It was very political. And um, I joked that I could drink a glass of water and have it spurt out the knife holes in my back because it was so political. And I was, I was doing well. I kept rising up. Um, but also it was, there were all these focus groups that they had. And I remember once I was given, um, a craft mayonnaise commercial to create on the same day that my art director told me that his wife was pregnant and his wife gave birth to a baby before we produced our TV commercial. So it's easier to produce a live human being than a TV commercial. So I thought, okay, there's something wrong here and a bunch of other things. So I finally, I, I quit. I kept threatening to quit, but my parents kept talking me out of quitting. So I, I ultimately, I quit and I didn't tell them for a couple of weeks. And then I told them. And then I went on to, I, was, I wanted to write a novel. So that was my first book. And I wrote my novel and I sold it to St. Martin's Press and then later to Miramax to be a movie starring Marissa Tomei. And um, and then I wrote the screenplay, but that never got greenlit into a movie. But then I did some TV writing. I always like wrote funny stuff. And then I kind of zigzagged my way into doing what I do now, which I call self-help for people that wouldn't be caught dead reading self-help. Because I add in humor. I add in stylish graphics. I kind of talk to you as a girlfriend. Um, I make things fun and easy to read. I do like all the geeky research and I take like the complicated scientific boring stuff, so to speak. And then I word it. So it's, it's fun and easy and simple to understand. Lady out of my own heart, do much the same thing myself. <laughs> so, um, You've also had like a lot of life challenges, even after you left your, your high power advertising job. Um, what I'd really like to know is, is how do you, how do you think we've gotten to this stage? I mean, everybody leads these completely crazy lives. And I think, you know, I always say everybody needs to go to a therapist because trying to navigate modern life is, is a challenge. It just is, even for the most well-adjusted of us. So what is your feeling about that? And, and what's your aim with trying to kind of um, do the things that you do? Well, everybody has their story. We all do. Um, there's like a famous Plato quote, be kind to everyone you meet because everybody is fighting their own battles or, or something like that. And it, it's really true. Um, so don't believe everything you see on Instagram, you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes, you know, the, uh, the people that just show their highlight reels. But um, I believe 
I actually believe that we're here to learn lessons uh, to help us become our best self. So I, I have a way of processing my challenges as like opportunities and assignments and gifts and bridges. I kind of use those words in my mind that they're meant to take me somewhere else to teach me a lesson and that things happen for me, not to me, that kind of philosophy. And, um, and then I also, I meditate and I journal and I try to um, discover the insights that I need. So I, I don't, you know, feel the pain as deeply, you know, but I do strive for understanding. For a while, my younger years, I would just joke so much about things and think that I was fine by using humor kind of too much. And I was like in denial. So at this point, I realized that you need to feel your core pain truth to really move through it. So that's kind of something that I learned later on. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, that's my general philosophy. It actually opens up a really interesting next question, because I think another feature of, of our modern world is, is actually a kind of an emotional denial of pain, that we do everything um, and anything to avoid it, whether it's emotional, physical, whatever. And I think what you just said there was really, really important, that you feel that you have to go through it. Can you, can you expand on that a little more? Because I think that's a really valid point. It's, it's something that I've been thinking about more, and so much so that I have like a draft of a potential book. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain it more here. Um, there's a new field of study that's uh, uh, called emo-diversity, emotional diversity. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple things, a couple angles. This is one. And then I'm going to bookmark. I'm going to also tell you something Aristotle says, but say it in a fun way. So you're not hopefully too bored by, you know, quoting a Greek philosopher, but this new modern research says that people who live emotionally diverse lives um, have more fulfillment, their lives are richer, more meaningful, have more purpose than if you, if you live safely and you try to avoid the unpleasant feelings, that People are actually, and this sounds like kind of oxymoronic, but people are actually happier if they allow themselves to be, quote unquote, depressed. If they allow themselves to have the whole smorgasbord of emotions, you know, and to live safely means you don't have as much richness of, of life. And so people that have, they compared emo diversity to biodiversity that, you know, the more biodiverse an environment is like for fish, like, you know, the little things that keeps them thriving. And we need to have an emotional diversity to thrive for our souls to thrive, you know, to be our full selves. So protected doesn't lead actually to more happiness, but this leads me to something and I feel like I'm going oh my god but this is like I, I mean I've been thinking about this a lot lately more and more as I get older too that there's a big difference between pleasure and fulfillment and this is where the Aristotle stuff comes in Aristotle says that the reason why in his lifetime and it applies definitely in today's world he, he said the reason why a lot of people were unhappy is that they mistook pleasure for happiness mm -hmm. and pleasure is about immediate gratification of the body or the ego right it's hit and run joy like and it and it doesn't bring you long-term happiness and, and sometimes divert itself into a lot of pain like for example immediate gratification eating um junk food uh, or junky lusty you know partners um that kind of immediate gratification uh, doesn't bring you the fulfillment, the true fulfillment. And what Aristotle said, that true happiness is about surrounding yourself with people and experiences that help you to grow into your, your highest potential. So it's, he, he really makes a big thing about finding partners that are not um, relationships of pleasure or relationships of utility, says Aristotle, where it's about money or, you know, 
lust, um, that it's about shared virtue, that you each help each other to become your best self. Like Jack Nicholson in that movie, um, As Good As It Gets, where he says, you make me want to be a better man. So that this is, now, Aristotle wasn't a prude, and he said we need, our soul needs lusts, and we need great yummy food and sensory pleasures, but um, those are the means to the end. The final ends in life is to grow into your highest potential self. So I kind of gave you a very big answer to, well, I guess it isn't really a simple question, but these are sort of my general philosophies on life that... Um, that if you see life as, you know, we're here to become our best selves and then take everything and use it to help you to just keep growing is kind of how I see things. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more, actually. Um, uh, first of all, I love Aristotle. My daughter studies classics, so uh, oh, that's, okay. <laughs> that's a standard feature in this household. But, oh, okay. uh, they may be two, two 3,000-year-old words, but they're, they're incredibly wise. And I t- also totally agree with you about people mixing up pleasure and happiness. Um, I think that's a, that's a big error of judgment. Of course, all fueled by our dopamine dumps that we that we get you know and and much more so i guess in this stage of of digital pleasure where where you know that that like and that hit just sends sends another little uh ping into the brain as as somebody who's who's actually now focusing a lot of your attention on supporting people through the process of getting older and yet also having a small child do you see huge differences in in the way in the environment the way that that a young person today is growing up compared to the way that we grow up grew up in their priorities in the way they think about themselves you know that's the first time ever anybody's actually Ask that specifically to me, but um, the media gratification thing. I think today's world is used to media gratification. Like if I order something on Amazon Prime here in the states, here in New York, and it takes two days, my son is like, "What's wrong with them?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's like crazy," you know. Or even even ordering up like pizza, like. It's 20 minutes. Like he just expects there's like that type of a thing. And he's only right now going to be nine. So he's not as much involved in social media. But one thing I noticed is, um, at least for him versus me, he's, um, he really feels like he can teach himself things. He's like really about learning. I I like this part about the internet um, is that he came out to me the other day and he said, mom, uh, can you get me Adobe? Uh, and I'm like, Adobe? He goes, yeah, I want to teach myself how to edit videos. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. Mommy doesn't know how to do Adobe. Uh, I don't care. I'll teach myself. I could not believe this because I myself, I, I, I could use knowing how to do Adobe for my career, but I think about learning that and I immediately like, oh, you know, but he as a young child is growing up, like I can teach myself that. Like there's so many YouTube videos. And so I got him the Adobe and he calls me in like an hour later and he's like, mom, look what I made. And he made a video. It had green screen things where he put fake backgrounds and and fonts coming up and type and he taught himself that, and I, I just, I love that, that he is like, I can teach myself, I can learn that, and he just is, he's learning a lot because of the internet, and, and that's positive of the internet in our world, that he's very, he's absorbed a lot, and he, and he curiosity in a child is, is such, you know, big thing, and, and he has, he has, uh, he's just a wealth of information. Yeah. I love yeah, I love that too, actually, and um, and I think it's a, it's an amazing feature of young people. First of all, that of course they have the ability to grasp everything in two seconds flat. But exactly as you said, they do search for knowledge. Problem is, of course, is when they disappear down the YouTube holes, and that, that happens to the best of us. So. <laughs> That's true. But I, I mean, I feel like he's. I, I mean, I trust. I trust him. And, you know, I do. I mean, I you know. And he keeps me current. He he's, um, he shows me music videos that are cool, and talks to me about music, and so and, and other things. And so, it's a really beautiful relationship. It really is wonderful. I actually wanted to explore that that um, 
genesis in the true sense of the world of of your your mothering experience because i was a, a pretty late mum myself i was 36 and i had that red dot on my form when i went to, to the hospital to deliver you know high risk aged mother um i would love to know how that experience was for you um not only internally in terms of how you felt um, and how you experienced it, but also how you were treated from the outside by people? Oh, um, well, okay. Well, here's something hilarious. Recently, um, like two years ago, I went to see a new doctor and he said, any recent surgeries? And I said, I had a cesarean uh, when I was 50. And he just writes it down. I don't even get any reaction. So I look at him, I go, I don't get a reaction for that. He's like, why, what? I'm like, hello, like cesarean. And he goes, this is New York. People are having babies here so late. You know, so he here in New York and my son's school, I have a lot of moms that, I mean, I, I'm probably, I win the latest late in life mom, but I, I have mom friends because I'm going to be 59 in August. And I have mom friends that are 56 that have kids my son's age, which is not that much of a difference mm-hmm. or 54 or 55. So there's not, it's, it's not as as absurd here in New York. Now, with that said, when I was pregnant, I was, um, before I got pregnant, when I was 49, 50, around that time, I was a workout enthusiast. And um, I was like, and I work out every day and I, I looked younger. And so during the course of my pregnancy, I, um, I think I blended in. I passed as someone younger. Now, since having the child, I haven't had as much time to work out, although I am trying to change that. I've been waking up early and I bought um, some pre-weights and a bench and I'm, I'm doing um, muscle building weight training. Mm-hmm. So I'm, because it's harder for me to have time in my schedule to go to the gym. So I brought the gym into my home. And my goal is to get back to my, my same, you know, total you know, uh, muscle tone self and not just for, um, for vanity. In fact, barely for vanity. I mean, some for vanity, okay, not barely, but some for vanity, (laughs) but because I've been reading research that says that, um, that is not just aerobics that helps longevity and your brain, but muscle strength. And so, and I really want to guard, not just my health, but my brain, because, uh, First of all, the goal is not just to live to, you know, a hundred plus, it's to live well. And I want to keep working. I want to be able to communicate with my son and I want to, I need my brain, you know? So I I thought, okay, after I read a couple studies on this, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do the weight training that's easiest to do in my home. So I'm doing that. But to get back to you, to your question, I, I hope, and I think it was true, that when I was pregnant, nobody was like, what's with that lady? I just kind of looked like somebody, because I was, I used to being like a gym rat. I looked like somebody that was in their 30s, which wasn't like completely weird here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get much pushback. Um, I, I got the pushback afterwards when I decided to announce to my Facebook page, my true age, because for a while I just, I didn't, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell. And so then I'm like, by the way, you know, I'm X years old and then people, but then the baby was born and the baby is healthy. You know, I worried about judgment and all of that, but, um, I, I, that's what triggered me writing the longevity book was, um, I really, my mom is like a little spitfire. She's 88 and she is so high energy. So I have role models of really good health and, and DNA and, um, and I've always taken really good care of my health. So, and I decided if I write a book on longevity, my life is long book, then I will, somebody's going to pay me, a publisher's going to pay me to research. So I went out, I, I interviewed everybody that I could on how to live longer. I read piles of research. I wrote the book and now I'm talking about the book. There's so much marinated in my brain that makes me want to be my healthiest self that. Uh, it's like the book is my ultimate accountability buddy. 
because I really have to follow these principles. And then, of course, my son. So I am completely committed. And I have had my blood checked and I have like, you know, my, my doctor told me that I had the Harvard blood tests, that my, uh, my results were so good. So I, you know, at this point, I feel like, you know, I tricked my body into thinking it's younger. So even if I'm not tricking other people inside my body, my body is fooled. My body thinks I'm much, shh, don't tell my body. My body thinks I'm much younger than I am. Well, I must admit, if I didn't know what the number was, I would never have guessed it. You look amazing. So whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it. What are you doing? That's the next question. So oh. what are your big tips for, or what have you found through your research um, are the major factors to, to keep one young and predominantly healthy. Right, yeah. Well, um, one of the things that I say, which gives a, has a little pushback, is to delete meat. You know, I try not to eat meat. Um, I'm a pescatarian-ish. You know, I have like, <laughs> I have eggs. Um, and if my son, I raised my son to be a pescatarian for the first like six, seven years of his life. And then around seven or eight, he said to me, mom, can I try bacon? And I like, at first I said, no, no, you know, and then I thought, oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I, you know what? I'm going to give him a little wiggle room because also if you make something, um, like a, verboten thing, you know, then they're going to push back harder. So I started to allow him and now he's been eating meat and every once in a while I'll be like, mom, this is so good. Take a bite. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm a pescatarian. And then I'm like, okay, I'll be pescatarian-ish. So I'll like take a bite of his food. But I really, I try not to eat meat. I try not to have dairy. I try not to have processed foods. Um, I try to keep my system pretty alkaline. Um, I, I, uh, I actually do a lot of intermittent fasting and sometimes by accident. I will wake up in the morning and I'll be running around and doing things and all I'll have is black coffee till around noon or lunchtime. And there's a lot of research that says that that's very good for your mitochondria. So um, I do that by accident. I'm accidental intermittent faster. And, uh, and I... You know, so those are some of the, the physical things that I do. And then I also meditate and meditation reduces stress. And I just wrote a book on meditation also called Instant Calm. And while researching um, everything about meditation, longevity kept coming up. So I thought to myself, oh, in a weird way, Instant Calm is my second longevity book. Because if you take care of your stress and you meditate, then you take care of your, your telomeres. You know, I, I actually interviewed uh, Alyssa Apple just last week, who uh, who did all of that that amazing work on meditation and stress and telomeres, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, first of all, it's phenomenal that we finally have such concrete proof of the mind body connection. Um, but also, yeah, absolutely, that that there's a very simple, free, and easy technique that that really could help so many of us. Yes, definitely. And I know a lot of people say that they don't have time for meditation. So um, I made my tools. They're two minutes long. Uh, Instant Calm is two-minute meditation. So it's like there's no excuses. You can always find, you know, I say that it's, um, it's easy to be a saint for two minutes. Like you can do any habit for two minutes you can find. And I, I try to include uh, tips in the book that were like fun and doable. Like I have one that um, actually doesn't even take two minutes. It takes zero time because you multitask it with taking a shower. So if you're going to take a shower anyway in the morning, then you can use that as what I call your shower power meditation. And when you're in the shower, this is a touch meditation, um, G-rated, you get into the shower and you become aware of the feel of the water on you, the temperature of the water. When you use your body lotion or wash, whatever you feel, get aware of that or your loofah. And then here's the part, when you're meditating, I have a specific meditation, you envision your negativity and your worry washing off of you and down the drain. 
So it, it, like, I don't know if you know this song, there was an old song, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. Do you remember yes. that song? Yes. So in a weird way, you could do that. You know, that would even be fun to do on some level if, if you're having a problem because laughter also is really good. So just envision everything washing off of you and down the drain. And it's so simple to do. And it, it's a way of stopping your busy, chattering monkey mind because you're aware of, of your body and your senses. And that's where each of the tools in the book and their sensory meditations tap into focusing on a specific sense one at a time, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, and they work as grounding tools. And they're research backed by neuroscientists, a lot of these tools, um, psychologists, these are, you know, they're all research-based because I'm a research geek. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What actually made you go into that direction of, of sensory meditation? I mean, of course, mindfulness does always incorporate that to a certain degree, um, if I understand correctly, because essentially the brain can't process a thought and sensory information at the same time. So you sort of hijack it um, by yeah. having sensory information to keep your head quiet. Um, but your meditations go kind of beyond uh, normal mindfulness meditation. How, how did you get there? I, I find it really interesting, fascinating, in fact. Thank you. Well, I noticed by accident that um, I was... I feel that we do sensory meditations and we don't know we're doing it. For example, if you're at the beach, right? Part of the reason why the beach helps you to relax is you're doing a sight meditation by accident. You're staring at the ocean. And if you get lost in watching the waves of the ocean and you just like, look how beautiful, or just hearing the sound of the ocean, those are um, sensory meditations. Or you walk into a bakery and you smell the smell of freshly baked bread, and you're just breathing. During that time that you're breathing that in, that's a smell meditation. You don't really realize that you're doing it, but you are. And you're distracting your mind, like, mm, that smells good. You know, I even think, ironically, that taking a coffee break, now here's a fluid, coffee, that's meant to jack you, you up, your energy up, like increase your energy, but sometimes I would have a cup of coffee and I'd feel more relaxed. Well, how is that possible? Because during the time that I'm having my cup of coffee, I'm just sitting there and I'm like tasting the flavor and I'm savoring it. You know, it, it helps you to distract your busy chattering monkey mind. And, and in fact, in the book, I list, I don't give the coffee meditation because that is why I pick something that does have the, the potential to make you a little bit... Um, wired but i do have tea meditations and those are you know pretty famous to do a buddhist tea ceremony meditation and those are all based on using pretty much all of your senses in a tea meditation you you're supposed to look at the leaves you're supposed to be aware of the smell you're supposed to really stop and taste the tea and be aware of where the tea came from and think about it's it's a mindfulness practice where you lose yourself in all of those senses so i included that one which is more of an ancient ritual but i also have very modern ways that we can use our senses for meditation can you remind us all of the name of the book it's called instant calm instant so, calm. go out and get it everybody Another book of yours that, that I, I just love the title is, is Think Happy. Um, you have, you have a, a, a fabulous TED Talk. Um, if uh, anybody who's interested, go out to TEDx and, and just put in Karen's name and you'll find it, um, which is all about fun and how important fun is. How important is that to you in your life? It's very important. Um, I say the TEDx talk is fun as a high performance fuel. Right, right. And um, I actually joke that fun is meditation on steroids, you know, because but just really frees up your mind. And I started to notice after my son was born that I would play with him in the morning and do like really funny, like fun things. Like we'd go out to the park, we'd blow bubbles or we'd do Play-Doh. And I'd be, I was doing all these create or dance uh, to music and, um, and then I do my work. When I uh, would do all of these fun things that it would make me feel more creative. 
And so, um, and there are studies that show that they gave people, um, you know, something funny to watch versus something serious to watch and then ask them to solve a puzzle. And the people that were watching like the funny fun videos, uh, like those like little silly, you know, funny dog videos or cat videos, wound up being able to solve the puzzle better than the people that were given like the really, you know, the news stories of the day. So, you know, if you really want to get your work done, you know, it's okay to take a break and watch some of those silly like cat videos or dog videos. It kind of frees up your brain and then you can actually attack your work um, in a much better headspace. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. A little bit of light relief is always a good thing. <laughs> Definitely. I also remember in the talk that, that you mentioned something about the data on, on giving presents. I thought that was really interesting. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. About um, if you, it was, it was based on a, um, a radiologist, that's what it was, where radiologists that were given a small gift before they analyzed um, the data of the report wound up having um, uh, better analysis than the radiologists that weren't given the gift. So if you want, if you're going to go see the doctor, you're going to have root canal, bring <laughs> the dentist a gift beforehand and he'll do a much better job. You know, I, I love that one too. But it can also work without a gift. Um, it, you know, compliments also before someone uh, does something praise is like verbal gift and people do better with, you know, have giving them compliments and praise before you send them off to do an assignment. So. Absolutely. I think it's, um, that's something which uh, we British are not very good at. You know, we're a little self-deprecating. So we tend not to praise ourselves at all um, and rarely actually praise others. I think that's, that's shifting a little bit in the culture now, but with the internet that's influencing everything. Where we're like the opposite, I guess. We're probably... I read so much now about parents that praise their kids too much and the danger mm -hmm. of that. So everything in moderation. Like if you're right. constantly telling your kid they're amazing, you know, then that can lead to problems. There's a whole book on that mindset where that if a kid feels like they're amazing and awesome and then they have failure, mm -hmm. this starts to um, get them confused or, and, and makes them more likely to give up. So the book Mindset says to praise uh, effort and not just the exact skill set. Like, right. I love how hard you're working. I love your passion. I, I, you're really good at this and your effort is going to make it even better. So you don't just praise like the skill. Uh, that way, if they fail, they know that they, if they put in effort that they can keep growing and doing better. It's a whole book on that. And I think Americans are a little bit too much on the, we might be guilty. <laughs> praise. Too much of a good thing. Great. Um, what actually was it that kind of got you so interested in, in, in this kind of mind, body, looking after your health, longevity? Um, I, I did read that, that you actually had some health problems when you were dealing with the pregnancy and the process yeah. of trying to get pregnant. Was yeah. that the trigger? Was that, was that what, I mean, because people don't suddenly start exploring meditation and longevity in the, with a passion that you have without some kind of trigger? Well, I, I always was into wellness, so I don't want to mock myself too badly, but I have always been a lifelong stress eater. That mm -hmm. is one of my things. I never really got into drinking or drugs or anything like that. I would just like reach for the, the junk food, you know, that was my thing. And, um, and so when I was pregnant, I wound up, I guess I was stress eating during pregnancy. And I went from being this like little petite thing. I was a size zero. I don't know, you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know, but I weighed like, I was like five foot three and weighed 106, which is like, I was so little. And then I went to like close to 190. I literally gained like 80, 90 pounds or something like that. And I also think it's because I... I wanted to drink water, but I hated the taste of water. So I kept drinking coconut water. And again, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And I think all of the sugar in the coconut water, I started to look like a coconut. 
not what you look. And I, I, because I just was downing the coconut, I craved that. So it, I wasn't picking out that much. I think it was, might've been the coconut water. And, and also um, I wanted to feel my baby kick. So I was told if you drink orange juice, so I'd be like, I, you know, I guess I'm a communicator. I'm like, oh, I want to hear from my baby today. And I drink like orange juice. So I was like drinking the orange. Anyway, so I, I gained all of this weight. And then when my, my little guy was born, I, I did still continue to stress eat. I, I felt like it was hard for me to do the mommy, you know, author juggling routine, like the work balance routine. And, and my go-to was stress eating. Um, and so I gained a lot of weight and then I got a phone call from my doctor for the first time ever, because I was always very healthy. Like I said, I was a workout enthusiast and everything like that, that my cholesterol was high and that my health was in danger. And, um, and so I, that's when I went into the, okay, I, I'm a mom, I'm a late in life mom. I can't risk this. So I really, you know, sometimes people don't change until they have crisis pain you know they need that little you turn crisis pain into crisis fuel and so that was my crisis pain it snapped me out of the denial you know and and that's when i really went into high gear i even have a course that i wrote on stop emotional eating which shares all the tools that i did because i had to change my my thinking because if you're stress eating you know that's, it's, it's a whole, it's not, we all know the do's and don'ts of eating to a certain degree. I call them the does and the duh not like duh, duh, <laughs> don't eat a whole bag of potato chips. Like, like you don't have to read a book to know, you know, potato chips are bad, you know? So why do we do these things? And why do we do these things? I, I couldn't really figure it out. Also on some level, I was journaling one day and I realized in my journaling that I consider myself a discerning person. I realized the word discerning was like one of my core values. Like when I go to write a book, I want just the right font. I want just the right paper. So if I'm a discerning person, then why am I eating potato chips and cheese doodles and goldfish? And, you know, why am I not discerning about the foods that I eat? So I started to think about that word discerning. And I kind of let that almost be like a neuro-linguistic programming word. Mm -hmm. Every time I was about to eat something, I realized my core value is discerning. I'm like, I'm discerning. Would a discerning person eat like potato chips? Would it? And I kind of used that word to help me. And it was interesting to me that um, my stress came out in, in food and I kind of dealt with that. And then meditation. So it all kind of motherhood has been the best of times and the most stressful of times. So it, it kind of made me, that's also because of the stress, I decided to um, take some time and become a yoga and meditation teacher to learn about it, to kind of advance my practice. Um, so I actually studied to be a meditation teacher and a yoga teacher and to really get myself even to believe these things really do work. So when you study to become a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher, you learn a lot of the science behind why, you know, being in a certain yoga position works or why doing meditation works. So I, I did an intensive um, teacher training on that. And that actually also helped me to advance my practice and made me want to write a book on meditation. Great. Let's go back to your um, tribe, your community. I, as I mentioned in the introduction, love the name. I think it's just perfect. Actually kicking myself for not having thought of that myself. But anyway, <laughs> um, what sort of problems do you see um, are the main issues for, for women particularly? I assume that the most of your tribe is, is, is women. Maybe there's some guys in there too. But what, what do you see are the main issues that, that women face when they start to realize perhaps that, as Miss Jean Brody would say, that they're past their prime? So. <laughs> the, our Welderly tribe? The Welderly yes, tribe. yes. Um, well, I... You know, I, I get a lot of people on my Facebook page in particular because it's very easy to communicate with them there. Uh, when I post articles about like um, getting older, 
a lot of women say that this is the best time in their lives, that they've never been happier. I did a poster the other day that was not one of my quotes, but I did it. I designed it into a poster about somebody uh, said that um, I don't have time for people that don't like me. It took me about 20 something years to like myself. I don't have 20 something years to wait for somebody else to like me. And then underneath, I read the comments and some people said, it took me until I was 45 to like myself. It took me until I was 50 to like myself. It was very interesting reading that. And I feel that in some ways I've come to peace with like who I am as a person more so my quirkiness, my eccentricities, you know, not letting what people say get to me as much. You know, I've definitely witnessed that as I've gotten older. And then, um, and then also the idea of like, I'm not done yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not done yet. There's more. Had a baby at 50, you know, what, what's next? You know, and, and trying to even think about redirections for my career, um, trying to see what else I can learn at age 50. Oh, actually, I'm almost 60. Um, but I, being inspired by my son who just picks himself up and learns Adobe. And now I'm learning things like, search engine optimization for my website. You know, I'm like, I can do this. My son, my eight-year-old son learned Adobe. Let me read up on search engine optimization and let me understand online marketing more. And let me, you know, so I feel that, um, and I also know from longevity research, the more active I keep my brain, that learning helps you to keep all those little neurons firing and that's going to help me, uh, my brain, you know, stay clear and active. So it's my little aerobics for my brain cells is to, you know, read about online marketing because whatever worked um, to make me a best-selling author in, in my, you know, thirties and forties, it's different now in the fifties and the world is constantly changing. You got to change with it. And, and even, even quote posters. When my son was born, um, I started to do quote posters, little quotes in the posters and put them up on Facebook. And that's how my page got viral. And I have like 1.3 million people at this point on Facebook. But back then, this was, you know, my son was born in 2010. Nobody was really doing quote posters. And I remember even somebody showed me Pinterest and said, oh, you should put your posters on Pinterest. I'm like, what's that? You know, now everybody and their grandmother is doing quote posters. So it's what next? What next? I have to constantly be reinventing myself and um, and I'm not going to let age get in the way of that. Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's, it's I find it's a very um, delicate dividing line between embracing your age and not letting it stop you and falling into this complete craziness of youth culture because there seem to be a lot of people who are in denial of of their coming age um, and coming years rather than embracing it and I think that's something that you do fabulously well I I say my age I like seeing my age I like owning it and research says that if you can accept your age if you're if you if you think badly about your age people that that feel like getting old is is terrible that actually hurts their longevity there's research that's in my book on that i call it like don't be groaning older like if you have these negative views i don't and i i love finding other people the welderly i love my tribe the welderly people that embrace it and look forward to traveling more or learning new things or deepening their friendships or you know all of these opportunities that that are really benefits quite frankly of being older you know even better friendships you know with all the without all the drama that you know 20 somethings have to face you know my babysitter tells me about you know I'm like oh goodness that's over you know so there's so many benefits and and then and I I do hear what you're saying and it is an interesting conversation about um you know social media for younger people is different than social media for someone my age I don't want to show bikini photos of myself you know (laughs) but I do want to share my life with people and and show aspects of that and and I, in some ways, I find that a beautiful thing that um, here we are talking, 
and people can have this conversation of us. And so I, I am very, in the end, I, I, I wind up with very positive feelings about this new world of online marketing and social media, because it really is a beautiful way to connect with people. You know, if everything in moderation and, um, and if you use it rightly, if you don't use it to beat up on yourself, right. if you use it as like a, a way to go to be inspired or learn new things, you know, it's a beautiful, I love, I love social media for that reason. I love interviews like that, this for this reason, like to be able to meet you from all across the world and Amazing, you, feel like, you feel like a kindred spirit. You know, yeah. I think mean, that's like awesome. <laughs> I right? totally agree with that. that. It is just the coolest thing. I love it too. Absolutely. Every time I check my, uh, my, my podcast stats and it gives you a little map of where people are all over the world and it just blows my mind every, and it never gets old. I look at it every day and I go, oh my God, there's somebody in, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere on the other side of the planet who's actually listening to what I have to say and what my guests have to say. Isn't that cool? I love it. I so love it. cool. It is. It I, is. Love, I love it too. I love Wonderful. I can see that our time is slipping away so much faster than I thought it would, but that's just the way it goes when you're having fun, I guess. Um, do you have like one big take-home message for to inspire people who are listening? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, one of my favorite little quotes that I did was, be so busy loving your life that you don't have time for fear, regret, and hate. You know, just, you know, leave that behind. I, I, I feel, again, the good thing about the internet and social media is getting to have these conversations with people on Facebook and seeing their comments below. And there are a lot of people that are having trouble forgiving and letting go and they have a lot of regrets. And, you know, it's, it's, it's what you're doing now. Your missteps of the past don't have to be your lead you to your future you know take new steps now you know you learned it grab the chew the flavor out of it get the lesson you know your past is good to to learn from not live in and then just try to create new opportunities for for love for happiness be so busy loving your life that you don't have time for fear regret and hate that's so a that beautiful sentiment i love that there are three little questions I ask all of my guests. Um, London Hill, as I said, is about mind, body, spirit. And I like to kind of capture that in the words um, health, happiness, and serenity. So for you, health, what, do, what does that word actually mean? Oh, um, it's, it's really, it's actually what you feed your mind and feed your body. Definitely, I'm a big, you know, think happy. I'm a big believer, meditate. You know, take care of the mind and the body. Mind, body, health to me, immediate. It's like mind, body. It's both. Mm -hmm. Great. And what about happiness? We, we talked earlier on about the confusion between happiness and pleasure, but what makes you happy? And is it something that you actually pursue or is it something that you just let happen? Um. Well, I, I think I am a little bit mindful about my happiness. Um, I, I, I do think in many ways, happiness comes from a, a, having really loving relationships, like um, being, getting better and better at loving and being loved, you know, your, your people connections. It's not what you have. It's like, you know, I could have a great time with my son doing just giggling like we don't have to go out and do fancy schmancy things so the people connections and the growth so I, I guess happiness has to do a lot with you know getting better and better at loving and being loved and um and learning the lessons to grow into your best self i, I think those are the two top priorities for happiness that's so beautiful i love that 
And lastly, Serenity, you talked obviously a lot about meditation, your new book. Um, but I always think that, you know, in this crazy world we live, that, that one has to really consciously turn down the noise in our, in our own heads. Other than meditation, are there any other things that, that you do throughout the day to, to just turn down the noise? Um. I, let me see. Well, I definitely, meditation was my number one. Number two, I do like working out now. Um, that helps me to turn down the noise when I'm focused on that and like just really doing something very physical to get it out of my system. That helps. And, um, and maybe just being, having coffee with a friend, just like that would be serenity for me, like a loving friend and just sitting there and just giggling, laughing you know, laughter, anything to do with being with somebody that I can just laugh with. That to me is like the ultimate. That's so beautiful. Well, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. You've given us lots of little pearls of wisdom and I highly encourage everybody to go out and get your new book and poke into some of the others as well because there's some gems in there too we'll put all the links on the sh in the show notes to your various social media channels and also to your website and it just leaves me to thank you very very much for taking the time to speak to me today oh this is wonderful thank you you this was serenity for me so me too <laughs> me too lucky that we both have jobs that are so easy to do because we love them right <laughs> true. true definitely true <laughs> so dear listeners i hope you enjoyed that conversation with karen as much as i did what a little ray of sunshine and very very inspiring she has a wonderful story um great information loads of books she's published so many um each with absolute gems of wisdom and she is a beacon of inspiration of how one really can live long and live healthy. So pop over to her Facebook page to be inspired on a daily basis. And as I said, we will put all of the links to all of the relevant social media platforms and her website at the end of the show notes. And speaking of show notes, if you would like to have extended show notes for future episodes of London Heal, then pop over to our website, which is over at londonheal.com. Become a London Heal Insider and you will receive those extended show notes delivered into your inbox with every new episode and all of the links to be able to access that episode. If you thought this episode was of value to you, if you find that it might be of value to somebody else, please share. As we always say, please share shamelessly because that's what this is all about. It's interviewing wonderful guests such as Karen, finding out great bits of information and spreading the word so that we can help not only ourselves, but our loved ones, our friends, and those around us who may be in need of that little bit of encouragement. And in order to help us do that so much more and reach more and more people, I would please ask you to go over to iTunes, soon to be Apple Podcasts, or whichever um, podcast platform you are listening from and rate and review us and of course subscribe. Uh, we would love to have you as part of the London Heal family and every new member of our family is welcomed with open arms. Well my dear listeners that leaves me to wish you as always health, happiness and serenity. <laughs>